Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, welcome everybody to another week of our Fall Obsession podcast. I am Sam with Fall Obsession, your host for this week's episode. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. If you're a new listener, welcome. We come out with a new podcast episode every single Monday morning. Um, So be sure that you follow and subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you get notified every time we're bringing you guys new hunting and outdoor content. Here in recent weeks, we have been having some guests on our podcast to talk about some of the stuff they're doing for um, preseason prep, getting getting ready for the fall hunting seasons on their land and everything. And this week, we are once again going to be continuing um, that trend. So I'm with our very own field staffer, Kim Sullivan, this week. Kim, welcome back. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you back on here. Kim has joined us before on the podcast, guys. Uh I believe it's episode 46. I feel unprepared now because I didn't look to make sure before we started this, but uh, the episode's titled Picture Perfect, and that was a podcast where Kim joined us to recap some of uh, some of her hunting that she's actually done out on the property that we're going to talk about today, um, and that I have confirmed that is episode 46, so you guys go back and check that out uh, if you haven't already. So to kind of get into our conversation today, Kim, I'm going to somewhat turn over to you if you want to give people just kind of a brief idea of the area you hunt you don't have to be super uh disclose a whole lot of information about it you know but uh, just to give folks the idea of kind of the terrain and uh, some of the stuff that you guys uh are dealing with out there absolutely so um i am a virginia hunter i've never hunted anywhere outside of virginia 
Um, the two main properties where we hunt and we manage are Franklin County and Pennsylvania County, which is Southwest Virginia. And Franklin County is our home base um, property. We can pretty much walk out of our door and go hunt. And it's about uh, anywhere about 150 acres. And then Pennsylvania County is the county um, neighboring us. And it's about 20 minutes away as far as a drive. And that one is about 170 acres that we manage. And um, it's basically terrain, more or less flat terrain with a mixture of hardwoods and pines and fields and all of our food plots. Um, I would say both properties, we have about six to eight food plots per property. So if that gives you an idea, uh, we spent all summer long working on all of that and maintaining all of that. Yeah, I know you guys do a lot of work out there, and you, you post it regularly to your own social accounts. You send us some of your stuff, too, that we put on ours. But um, So all that is, is awesome. And like I said, you guys put a lot of work in out there. What are some of the long-term effects that you've seen as far as the caliber of deer? Because you've been doing this on these properties for a little while now. So what kind of changes have you seen over time with just the quality or the quantity, um, if any, of the deer out there? Yeah. So I actually was born and raised in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I just recently moved here with my boyfriend um, uh, about a year ago now. And but I've been with him for six years. So I've been, you know, in and out working these um, with him for six years. And prior to coming here, I did. Um, very little still hunting on my own. I hunted with dogs with a hunt club. And when I did still hunt, it was nowhere near um, the results of what I see now. So as far as being here and actually working on the food plots, the amount of deer that I see, um, especially like right away when I first started, this was incredible to me. Like you would see in the evenings or even in the mornings, just deer just piling into your food plots and anywhere between, I mean, I've had evenings where I see 10 to 15 deer in the same food plot and they're, and that's something that I was never used to. And just to be out there and experience that is it's crazy. It's, it's incredible to me. It's, um, I can't explain it. You know, if, if you're a hunter and you go out there and you experience that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not a hunter, you've got to experience that to understand it. Yep. But, um, just as far as just, just being out there and experience how deer move and how deer interact with each other and just being able to just sit there and quietly see that it's, it's awesome. And I think, um, a lot of that has to do with the food plotting, you know, they come and they rely on their stomachs and they come to the um, food. And prior to food plot plotting, I never, ever experienced that. So um, just the amount of deer I see in general, um, the interactions that I see that deer have with each other, um, it's just it's something I can't explain. And it's it's been awesome. And then to talk about the bucks on top of that, the sizes of the deer that... Um, I used to see to the bucks that I see now because we're able to watch them and, and let them grow and let them walk. And um, we kind of see them develop year after year. And that's incredible to me just to see how a deer can grow from one year to the next. Um, so just just all of that. I mean, it's it speaks for itself when you're out there. Yeah, it's, it's really rewarding just in the first place that, you know, you're watching all your work come to fruition you know it's it's yep. not it's not just uh you know pictures or videos or stuff like that you're witnessing it before your own eyes so that that says a lot right there yeah and it pays off you know like you you kind of 
get what you put in and um sometimes during the summer i'm like oh my gosh this is so much work but then when we're out there and we see what we see it all just you know it's it's worth it in the end yeah absolutely so what kind of and and i've asked we we've had a few guests like i mentioned here in recent weeks um kind of discussing their own respective areas and some of the stuff they do on their property and i've i've asked both of them so far and i'll ask you the same what what kind of effects do the neighbors have if any on your management style or everything you're trying to do out there because that seems to be kind of a, a hot topic for some especially and i know i know you're dealing with maybe some larger properties and even some of the guys that we've talked with here recently have but still the neighbors can have a, a negative impact on that if they're not on the same page so how's how's that all work for you guys uh, absolutely that's a tough question but um you know in in a perfect world we wish that we had neighbors that were on the same page with us but it's very rarely going to happen um we have a farm behind us uh, adjacent to our property and i'm pretty sure they have kill permits so that's tough on us um and there's you know, we we try as much as we can to let deer walk and let them grow and try to get them to four years old. Um, sometimes they don't make it till, you know, maybe three. We try to get three, four, five-year-old deer in here. Um, but a lot of the times the deer that we end up letting go, hoping that they'll make it, they don't. Our neighbors end up killing them. And there's only so much you can do when it comes yeah. to that. Um, we still have to give the deer the chances to walk. We want to give them that chance and hope that they make it through. And some of them do. Um, but I know last year, I think two or three of the deer that we tried to let walk, we know got killed by our neighbors and it, it's really tough, but unless you own a thousand acres and you know, it's, it's super hard to manage and, when it comes to that aspect, but we still do what we can here. Um, you know, we, a big part of the food plots is to try to draw the deer here and keep them here yeah. and not so much on the neighbor's side, but you know, sometimes that just doesn't happen. And like I said, in a perfect world, we wish our neighbors were on the exact same page as us, but a lot of the times they're not. Um, so it is tough, but we have to still be in the mindset that when they're on our property, we've got to give them that chance to grow, got to give them that chance to walk and they may make it. Yeah. So, um, it's like I said, it is tough, but you do what you can and, and you experience plenty of frustration through the season because of it, but you just got to let it go and, and yeah. just keep focusing on the next thing. Absolutely. Very difficult decision to make in the moment sometimes for sure. <laughs> oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> So diving in a little bit more to some of the stuff you do for your management style, um, and, and we're going to get into a, a little bit more specifics other than just kind of generalizing everything, but what kind of stuff do you do year in and year out for your wildlife population and your hunting efforts, and what kind of stuff do you typically assess or consider changing from one year to another? Um, so I would say the top two would be our food plots and then our buck study and um getting into the whole food plot thing um we pretty much assess early spring um go, we go out and we check our food plots and we have a mixture 
basically um, our main food plots will be a mixture of clover, the brassicas, the rape, um, turnips, radishes, all of that. And we have some that are just clover. We have some that are just the rape. We have some that are mixed. And for the most part, our clover plots do well year year in and year out. And we just basically mow them and maintain them and, and just continue. When you mow, it kind of makes them thicker as they grow. Um so for the most part, our clover plots are pretty good. Um, the biggest thing I think that we would do as far as food plots is we go out there, we assess them, and we decide whether we just need to mow and maintain or do we need to kill off this plot and restart or plant something different. Um, so that's a lot of work in itself, just going out and just you know writing down what we need to do, where we need to start when it comes to each food plot. And like I said, we probably have, you know, a total of uh, 16 at the most food plots um, on our two properties combined. So just writing down, taking notes, and then we start. And, um, you know, we start probably in May or so with all of that. And we start mowing. Um, If we need to kill off a plot, that's where we start with our roundup. And then we disc it up and we spend a great deal of our time in the summer paying attention to our weather patterns um, because we never know around here what the rain's going to do. This year so far, we've gotten pretty lucky with rain. Uh, We even had a good about an hour rain this morning. So it's helping us. We're not in a drought yet. We've been in droughts before, but we're not um, this summer. So hopefully, you know, that doesn't happen. But just focusing on all of that and you know deciding what we're going to plot and or what we're going to plant in this plot it's it's time consuming it's a lot of strategy it's a lot of planning ahead that's the biggest thing like it's something where you just can't go out and say okay we're going to do this here you know you've got to plan ahead you got to pay attention to weather just all of that it's it's a lot of work a lot of detail um but we pretty much i think have it down to a pattern now and um i i can't take all the credit my boyfriend's incredible at all of that and you know he's pretty good at strategizing and and um and planning he's he's the planner so um but we we get it done and we spend all summer on it um and you know it's just it's constant. It's constant work. It's something like we just went to the beach last week on vacation. And when we got back, we were like, okay, we've got a lot of work to do to catch up. <laughs> yeah. So it's just constant work, but paying attention to it all and um, um, just just getting it done, you know, and, and just spending all your time on it and it pays off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so that's the food plot side of it. And then our the other top part of it is our buck study. Um, and, and what I mean by that is our cameras and we're studying deer all year long. We, our cameras are out obviously during season, we make sure they're out after season. So we know which bucks made it through. And then we put them out. We start putting them out about end of June, early July. I think that's when around here you can start to kind of tell which buck is which, and, um, you know, we really pay attention to, okay, we think this is, um, we think this is our seven pointer from last year. This is our eight pointer from last year. And we, we name all of our bucks. So I think that helps us, you know, kind of pick out. And then we put our list together of who we think are shooters and, 
and uh, which bucks we think are borderline, um, which bucks we want to pass on if we do see them in the field. And I think, you know, that helps me a ton because in the moment, I know we talked about this in the moment, it's super hard sometimes, but if you know exactly who that deer is when they're walking into your food plot and you already know, okay, we're, we're letting that one go. It's a little bit easier. Um, so just getting to know your bucks and putting a list together. Um, I have a list already. (laughs) I have top two so far that I've seen on camera and, um, my top buck this year, his name is Kelsey. Because I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Oh, there and you go. <laughs> no one is better than Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so, well, we so can't far... be friends then because I'm a Denver Broncos guy. So, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I won't hate on you too bad, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so just, you know, just food plotting, planning ahead, preparation, constant work, and then really, really, really getting to know your deer and studying them year in and year out and really paying attention to who's who and putting a list together. I think those are our top two management um, points that we try to follow and um, really focus on. Awesome. Sorry, I felt like I rambled on a little bit. No, that's (laughs) perfect. That's a lot of useful, useful information right there. Now, kind of still on the topic of food plots, I wanted to ask this um, because some some guys that I've talked to recently have have alluded to doing stuff like this. Does does your setup? Do you guys? Well, let me first ask: Do you guys exclusively do bow hunting, or do you bow and and rifle hunt? We bow, we muzzleloader, and we rifle hunt. Okay, so yep. so do you change your your crops that you have in certain food plots, or do you plan certain crops based on? bow stand rifle stand how how far the shot's going to be and what time of the year yeah we do sometimes um i think the main thing that we focus on is making sure that we have um early season crops and late season crops and i think usually we will pick out where we're hunting based on what's in our food plot um and you know obviously clover's there year round for us. Um, and then the rape seed and turnips and radishes that really gets going later on in the season. So, um, we try, like I said, we try to do a mixture, um, uh, in most of our plots or, you know, if we have a clover plot here, we're going to do a rape plot right down next to it. That way we have a little variety and, um, it's, you know, we, we strategize where we put our stands based on where the food is, um, we make sure that we have a stand near most of our food plots or a tree that we're able to climb with our climber um, near those food plots. And that way we're able to access that when we can, especially late season. You know, the deer are really, really on their feet moving and um, trying to hit those the feeding areas pretty hard. So we make sure that we have the availability to be able to hunt right near those plots. Awesome. Well, very cool. So what kind of tools and equipment do you guys utilize when, when you're doing all this? Because it's one thing to have a huge operation and big tractors and all that good stuff or just be a farmer in the first place and have crops that you just hunt, period. But um, for a smaller scale or smaller properties, what, uh, what do you find to be useful, whether it's tools that you use for planting or anything throughout the year or the products themselves that you put in the ground? Yep. So we do not have a tractor. Um, We have two four-wheelers that we use, and that's 
what we do everything with. Um, at times, it can be a little frustrating when we're like, okay, we might need to buy a tractor, but we just haven't gotten there yet. Um, but we we stick pretty hard with the four-wheelers. Um, we have two pull-behind bush hogs that we, you know, cut our food plots with and do all the mowing with. And we just recently got um, a new one. Um, so we have two now. So it's nice because we have two four-wheelers so we can get as much done as we can with that. And then we have a pull-behind disc where we just got the ground. And we have a cedar that goes on the back of the uh, four-wheeler. Um we have a tank that we that goes on the back of the four wheeler with a sprayer where we sprayed the roundup and all of that. Um, so basically, everything's done through our four wheelers and um, and our equipment that we have pulling behind the four wheeler. Um, we also just have a big tire that we use as a tire drag just to drag um, the soil over after we plant. And um, like I said, sometimes it's beneficial to have the four wheeler and the smaller equipment because you can get into areas that a tractor just can't. Um, but then other times you're taking twice as long because, you know, it's smaller and, and, um, a tractor could get it done in less of time. Yeah. So, but, um, I don't know. We do, I think we do pretty well with our tractors. I mean, with our four wheelers and, you know, we, we get it done and, and, um, it's, it works out. So that's basically all our tools we use. Um, and then just recently, um, I started to work with Antler King products and, um, we're starting to use some of their products. We're actually experimenting with two this year. Um, we are doing a lot more like we're trying a lot more backwoods off the beaten path food plots and now when you're out there, you don't get a lot of shade. So, um, I mean, you don't get a lot of sunlight. Right. So we are experimenting with um, a product called G- uh, Game Changer Clover, and it is shade tolerant. Um, so we've done two of the food plots with that so far. It's a little early to see a ton of results, um, but, you know, we keep an eye on it and we can see that it's growing and, you know, we're hoping that it's going to put out the results that we want because we know the deer are traveling through these areas and we kind of want to slow them down and stop them a little bit in certain areas um, where we know we might put a climber, we might put a hang on stand or something like that. So experimenting with that. Also, um, a big thing that we're into this year that we're kind of obsessed with already, it's um, Antler King Barricade. And basically, it's like a, it's a sorghum. It kind of grows tall like corn. And um, we're putting this on the outskirts of our property, like along the roadside, so that, you know, when vehicles are coming down the road, they can't see into our food plots, into our fields. Or a lot of the times, you know, they do. They come by and then the vehicles, they stop to look at the deer and then the deer are gone. Yeah. You know, they clear the fields pretty quick. Um, and we're noticing that the deer are using it um, as cover. We think some of the deer are already bedding in those areas, which we're really going for. Um, so, I mean, it's it's great. It's doing, we put it in at the end of May, I believe, and it's doing exactly what it should. It's almost, you know, as tall as I am and I'm 5'7", I'm so it's getting to be as tall as I am already. And, um, we're going to go out and put a lot more of it and strategize where we want it because, you know, like I said, you can use it for the deer, use it for cover. They use it for bedding. They use it for travel. Um, you can use it for covering your property, putting it on the outskirts of your food plots. You can use it to help 
get in and out of stands a lot easier. Um, so we're going to go out and we're going to put a lot more of that out, but that's been, that's been exciting. Um, to say the least, especially to see the results of it already. So we're experimenting with those two things and, and, um, and hoping that we get some good benefits from that. So. Awesome. Well, very cool. So the next thing I have on my, on my list of notes, uh, I've kind of referenced it as the do's and don'ts. And what I wanted to ask was, is there anything you have learned by trial and error over the years? Um, where things that folks are man- who are managing their own places or putting in their own food plots um, might consider um, to either go for or stay away from. You, I mean, you have several years, seasons on seasons experience doing this now. So I wanted to ask if there's what kind of lessons you've learned over the years, if any. So yeah, I would say um, you know I've learned that exploring your property and really, really just getting out there and getting to know it. Um, is the best thing that you can do and you can't go wrong with food plots. Um, where we hunt, we're, you know, we're not allowed to put bait down. Um, we can't hunt over bait. So food plots is the next best thing for us. And I think, I truly think that you cannot go wrong with a food plot, especially, like I said, even now with our experimenting in like a little backwoods areas, even if you don't have a big field, you know, you have areas where you can try to clear off a little bit and even go in with hand tools and, you know, and get things done. Um, So I would say like number one thing that I've learned is you absolutely cannot go wrong with a food plot. Get in there and try it. If you fail one year, you know, get in there and try it again. Like never stop. Keep trying it until you see results. And I think you'll be surprised. And like I said, exploring your property, getting out there and trying to figure out where bedding areas might be, where deer travel patterns um, can be and just strategizing where you can put food plots, where you can put stands, where you can actually get in and hunt pretty easy without disturbing the deer. Um, just really, really getting out there and getting to know your property. That's a huge do on my list. As far as don'ts, um, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned through this whole food plot thing is really um, testing your soil. Um, pH levels before you get out there and try to plant. I've seen, you know, some areas where we skipped the lime and we did all of the work and we put, you know, seed in the ground, did all the work that we needed to, and it just didn't produce the crop like we wanted because we skipped the lime part and we didn't invest in that. And I think, you know, it's as far as that goes, um, you can't skip steps. If you can afford to really put lime, put fertilizer down, do it because you're going to see results that, um, a lot better results if you just skip the lime part. So I would say, you know, just, just be very detailed in what you're doing and pay attention to all the little steps and just try to, you know, do it as best as you can by the book and you're going to see big results. So as far as don'ts, you know, don't skip important steps like that yeah. uh, because you're going to end up just wasting your time and wasting your money. Also, oh uh, yeah, I guess this year we experimented with um, with field corn. We planted some corn in in about uh, about an acre area, and I think you know it was just kind of an experiment for us. We just threw the corn out, and it it was growing really well, but we learned that 
certain crops like that need a lot bigger areas to actually be successful and make it because you know we we would see um we'd see crows out there all the time when it was first you know coming up and they they just damage the crops and um the deer i mean it's been funny to watch them but the deer will just come out and just pull up the whole stalk and and that's that so i i would say you know really pay attention to which crops need larger areas to make it through as well um so but a lot of it you know you you learn from doing trial and error and um you got to get out there and you got to try it you never know um so advice just really get out there and try it learn your property put food plots down if you fail try it again next year so absolutely i think you can definitely benefit from that for sure so one of the last questions i have for you um kind of diving in a little bit more to the scouting because you you just talked about knowing your property learning your property walking your property but at the same time that doesn't that doesn't assess your your actual deal deer numbers or the caliber of deer obviously and there comes a time where you don't want to you don't want to be bumping stuff out of there so what kind of efforts do y'all make with with the trail cameras and i'm assuming that you know you you put frequent trail cameras out there especially with the efforts that you guys go to but um are you guys running cell cams or regular cams or or how's all that set up for you guys yep so um we have a combination of cuttyback cell cameras and um just regular cuttyback cameras on our home property where we can just walk out the door and go uh, we have the regular cameras because it's a lot more accessible for us to you know get to the cameras here and uh, we don't have to drive and check them all the time i think you know there's there's pros and cons of each and as far as the non-cell cameras you know you're actually going out there and you're able to see kind of what's going on around your cameras you're paying attention to you know what's what's going on when you walk in you're paying attention to what the food plots look like when you're out there you're paying attention to your stands as you're going by them so you're seeing a lot more but at the same time are you disturbing deer when you go when you go in um we have found and some people might disagree with us on this that um we feel like we disturb deer less when we're going in with our four-wheelers than when we're walking in and i think you know the deer have kind of gotten used to our four-wheelers and we've noticed that they we go out there with our four-wheeler we check our camera we leave and they're right back out there in the food plots whereas if we're walking in um they're you know they they're gone and they don't come out for a while so uh, we feel like it's just something that they're used to now and they're less disturbed by it so um and we try summertime we're not as strict on going in scent free um which we probably should be but once it starts getting closer to season september and whatnot we really really pay attention to um going in scent free and really um trying not to leave as much as we can around the cameras and you know we spray our hands off we spray our boots we we try to dress in scent free clothes and all that because we we don't want to disturb their travel patterns once it's getting close yeah um, and, um, just touching base a little bit on, um, here in Franklin County where, uh, we have our non-cell cameras put out, um, this year there is a no, uh, a yearly ban on bait, uh, because there was a CWD, um, disease found in Montgomery County, which is, uh, close.
close to a neighboring county here. Um, so we're not allowed to put any bait down whatsoever. Hmm. Usually, um, we do put, you know, the salt blocks down and the minerals and stuff here in front of the cameras, but we're not doing that this year, obviously, because, you know, it's illegal to at this point. So we're pretty much just relying on, um, our food plots and whatnot to get the pictures we need here and which we still are getting pretty good pictures. So hopefully that, you know, that stays, um, in Pennsylvania County or other property where we do have the cell cameras, we, um, there is no ban there. So we are putting down, uh, deer minerals and, and salt and all that. So we get some pretty good pictures and, and the deer get attracted to the minerals we put down. So yeah. we're getting good pictures with that. Um, last year was our first year with the Cuddy Link cell cameras and we have, uh, we have four of those and it's, it's a great system, um, especially when you can't get down there all the time to check your cameras. I would say it was a, a big learning curve, um, learning all of the settings and getting them set up properly. I mean, I was on the phone a couple times with the um, with the Kettyback customer service because huh. I just could not get it to work. I, you know, you had to update firmware. I'm not sure if, you know, you understand. I'm sure you understand, but there's a lot of people out there that have no idea what firmware is when right. it comes to, yeah. you know, a trail camera. They're like, wait, what? Um, so, I, you know, I had to update firmware by putting it on an SD card for my computer and putting it in the cameras, making sure they're all running on the same system um, in order for them to hook up properly. So, as far as the complicated system, it is very complicated. It has a lot more settings than your normal cameras. But once we got it up and got it running and got through all the frustration of that, it's been, I mean, it's been awesome. Um, we set up an email. It sends the pictures to our email. And I think you can have it sent to your phone, text messages too. But we, we just like it email because it's less disturbing. You get on, you check it when you want to. Yeah. Um, and you can also you also have uh, an account on your computer where you can go on your computer. You can delete your SD cards right from your computer oh, on the wow. cameras if they're getting full. Um, it's it's a great system. I think you know it, I think it's worth the money um, once you get it up and running. It's yeah. you know it was certainly frustrating to begin with, but we've had no issues with it um, ever since, and and they're great cameras. So. So pros and cons of that, obviously, you're not out there as much. You're not really paying attention. You're not seeing what's going on, and you're just focusing on what the camera's telling you. And right. we all know as hunters that there's a lot more than, than out there than what the camera shows sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't get all of that. But um, we love them, you know, but at the same time, we love our regular cameras too. Yeah. So I think it's more or less what the hunter prefers and, and um and what's better for you. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, basically each property, we have five cameras, I would say. Um, and that's tough too, maintaining cameras and batteries and batteries yeah. are expensive and all of that. So just maintaining all of that and, you know, SD cards. And sometimes, you know, we struggle with that. We struggle with SD cards. They always mess up on us. I don't know. Um, so that can be frustrating in itself, but I think, um, I mean, we love it. We love it for getting to know our deer and, and really paying attention to the bucks that we have coming on our property. So, like I said, I'm a very in the moment hunter and I still 
freak out every time I see a buck coming towards me. So it's really important for me to know which ones are, you know, who's who and uh, really paying attention to that out there. So yeah, cameras are a big plus for us. Yeah. So more moral of the story is make sure you're set up before you start throw them out throwing them out there and you're miles away (laughs) absolutely absolutely make sure you're out there make sure you've got it all hooked up and um and don't leave until you do (laughs) (laughs) and y'all can call me if y'all need help because i'm I'm a pro now (laughs) perfect we'll point them in your direction there you go well i appreciate you coming on i wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of before we hang it up to recap some of the memorable hunts or memorable deer that you've taken out there and i know i know we there's probably gonna be some duplication with uh, some of the deer that we talk about or talked about in episode 46 but um it's a new episode a new year so i want to give you a chance to to share with us some some memories before we hang it up absolutely um i'd say top two hunts um for me, we're both here once I started all of this food plot stuff in Franklin County. And um, in 2016, I believe it was, in November, um, this will still be my favorite hunt ever unless I get to kill Kelsey this year, you know, my <laughs> top um, buck. And um, But anyway, so I had taken my climber in and... Um, I remember it was the windiest day and it was so cold and I did not want to hunt. You know what people say about hunting in the wind? Like it's, it's horrible. Don't do it. You know? Um, but we miss very few days, you know, we get out there as much as we can. And, and I'm that person where I'm like, if I'm not out there, I know I'm missing something. Um, so I try to hunt as much as I can. And I took my climber in, um, I climbed a tree that was about, 30 yards off of one of our main food plots and I remember um I really didn't see much I had my hood up and I was just shivering the whole time because I was so cold and it was so windy and I was trying to cover my face as much as possible you know you can't hear anything out there on those days so you really got to pay attention yeah and um I had one small buck come from the food plot and came underneath of me and obviously let that buck go um i would have gotten in trouble if i shot that because it was <laughs> tiny <laughs> yeah. and um but I, I was still at the point where that excited me you know even just a small buck it, it still excited me because i hadn't killed much um to you know till that day and i remember it was you know starting to get close to dark um starting to get to the point where uh things kind of throw you off in the woods and you know you as a hunter you know that a tree looks like a deer at certain angles and certain light um so i just remember it was starting to get to that point and i saw this big body move through the pines going out to the food plot and i put my binoculars up and the instant I put them up, I was like, that's a shooter. I didn't know who it was. Um, I wasn't as familiar with the deer around here uh, at that point, but I knew it was a shooter. And I put my binoculars down because I just remember just staring at the at the antlers. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm I'm starting to freak out. Like, let me put my just just calm down. And um, and I'm already shivering from being cold. And then I just remember I start shaking because I'm so nervous and I'm anxious and and the 
buck is in the food plot walking away from me. And I, it was, uh, it was rifle season and, um, I could not get a clear shot. And my boyfriend was hunting probably about a hundred yards or so, um, away from me. And I remember texting him being like, you know, shooter in the food plot. He's walking away from me. You got to get down and come around here. Cause you know, um, I didn't want him to just pop in and pop out and be gone. Um, so he was like, get off your phone. And I was like, well, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> and he was like, I'll try you know, I'll try to get down. And, and I was like, okay. And then right after I put my phone in my pocket, the buck just makes a hard turn and comes into the woods um, behind me. And I remember, you know, standing up in my climber and turning completely around and resting my gun on the cable of my climber. And, you know, he came into the woods and, and paused and put his head down um, for one split second. And that's when I shot him and he just dropped. And, um, and I, you know, my boyfriend had gotten down. He was like trying to get over towards me and he heard me shoot and he called me. He was like, was that you? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, did you get him? I was like, yeah. And at that point, I still didn't know which buck it was. And when he got there, he was like, oh, my God, that's Basket Case. You know, it was a buck that we had named Basket Case and um, had a lot of history with him. And he was, I think, a six-year-old deer. Um, and we had the property owners and um, and my boyfriend actually had his sheds from three years old, four years old, five-year-old sheds and um so just a lot of history with the deer and i was like oh my gosh they're you know property owners are gonna hate me because i just killed this deer and they were and they were like no it's better that somebody on the farm kills it than our neighbors you know so um it was by far my biggest um deer and it still is to the day it's it was an 11 pointer he was super palmated which was so cool to me because i really hadn't seen anything like that um he only scored, I think, like 115 because it was a Boone and Crockett scale and he was classified as non-typical. Um, so he didn't, you know, score as well, but still the biggest deer by far for me. And um, and that, I think that really started me on my journey of food plotting and, and being able to actually experience killing big bucks like that. Right. So, yeah. Um, best memory and then um my second memory after that would be last year when i killed my first buck with my bow um and again i was almost in the same area i had climbed um a tree with my climber again 30 yards or so off the same food plot just a different direction and um and this was, you know, October, October 20, 27th, something like that, I believe. And it was super hot. Um, and he came in um, chasing two does straight towards me. And one doe led him right to my left side, which was perfect for the way I shoot. And I shot him at 15 yards. And, you know, he ran about maybe 80. And um, and that was it. And, you know, that I think that's still one of my best memories because – bow hunting is super challenging and just to be able to connect on a buck like that um especially like my first buck with the bow it's it's one of those experiences that you don't forget um you know i i love bow hunting because of the challenge but it's super frustrating as well so just being successful in that um speaks a lot for itself absolutely so yeah definitely one of my top memories awesome 
Well, Kim, we appreciate you coming on this week and sharing some of the stuff that you guys got going on out there and uh, all the many things y'all are working on. Thanks for coming on. You are so welcome. Um, we don't have too much longer till hunting season. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> Counting down. <laughs> it is right around the corner, and I'm excited. Yes, it is. So looking forward. Still to... a lot of work left to do, but yep. we're super excited for it. Absolutely. Same here. Before I give our closing spiel, you want to tell folks where they can find you on social media, since, like I said, you guys do post fairly regularly, it seems, to your account on what you yep. guys are doing out there. So. Absolutely. Uh, my number one where I post most of my outdoors is KS Outdoors on Instagram and um, also my Facebook is Kimmy Sullivan. Um, I am going to try to do a lot more on my YouTube channel, which um, I have that posted on my Facebook, the link as well, and my Instagram. I think it's posted on there. If not, I'll make sure I update that because I'm going to try to do a lot more videoing and, and whatnot and kind of getting my stuff out there. So Awesome. Well, very cool. Well, guys, thank you all for tuning in um, and listening to another week's podcast. If you haven't already, go follow Kim on the pages that she just mentioned. And follow Fall Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we are also working on ramping up our video content and have a lot of new um video series in the works some revolving around um, some deer management and everything so stay tuned for all that followupsession.com that is the hub that's where you can find all of our content videos product reviews uh, wild game recipes podcast is on there as well and on that podcast page there is a form you guys can fill out to send us some feedback on our podcast we take criticism constructively so um, let us have it on there and uh, if you haven't already, whatever app you're listening to this podcast on, hit that follow and subscribe button. Make sure your notifications are turned on because, again, we come out with a new one of these every single Monday morning. So be sure that you guys do that if you haven't already. Kim, thank you again. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. All right, guys. We'll catch you all again next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode.